the eye is an extension of the brain that you can see. Right. And so the, the eye offers a view into the internal functioning of the body. And so right. it's often used in that way. But often if there's a signal to something going wrong in the brain, you can see it in the eye of the orbit. Hey, Refam. My name's Kate and welcome back to Keeping It Real, a podcast exploring the most squeamish parts of medicine, the eyeballs. <laughs> We're joined by Dr. Justin Freeble from Lakeside Eye Surgery, an ophthalmologist and oculoplastic surgeon. Fair warning, you're going to hear a lot about tiny scalpels near your open eyes. Which surgeries require patients to be awake? Spoiler, it's a lot. And growths on your eyeball caused by the sun. But I implore you to keep listening through the shutters. Justin is a fantastic guest and explains why he often recommends against lower lid blepharoplasties and reveals the one thing he wishes ophthalmologists everywhere would stop doing. Welcome, Justin. Um, now, Richard, you've brought Justin to this little podcast lair. How do you guys know each other? What's the story? Well, I think as we've talked about many times, the Tr- the the way we get trained is that you start off as an intern, you're a resident, then you become a registrar. So when I was the plastic surgery registrar at the Alfred, there was a little baby Justin who was my <laughs> resident and was actually my best resident of all time. Oh. A lot well, of pressure. Wow. That um, is a lot of pressure. <laughs> so, yeah, we had – it would have been probably a 12-week term where he had to do everything um, I told him to do, which he did. <laughs> Um, and so that's how we got to know each other. Interesting. So do you work in plastic surgery then? I do in a way. I ended up in the ophthalmology stream and so um, that's a bit much more general as training. Mm-hmm. Um, but within ophthalmology, there are about seven or eight different subspecialties, oh, believe okay. it or not. Yeah. I'm a left eye surgeon. <laughs> <laughs> no. um, so, um, yeah, and there's certainly more subspecialties within the field that are more surgically orientated. Right. And I'd come to ophthalmology being much more interested in surgery and hence why I was very keen to do as much uh, general surgery as possible and so that's why I ended up in plastics beforehand. Mm -hmm. And so uh, at the end of my training, I... um, when I finished all that, I just basically pursued further and further subspecialty within the field they call oculoplastics. Okay, and so for those playing at home, yes. what is the what is ophthalmology and oculoplastics? Yeah, so ophthalmology is the medical specialty of the eye and eye-related diseases um, and it's everything essentially that involves uh, from the brow down to the lower eyelid um, oh. and... Not, not as big of a <laughs> <It's not. laughs> the as I was expecting. No, it's, be. A, it's a very small jurisdiction, but often involves the brain. So oh. often involves the brain because a lot of he's um, making it sound much more. I know, I know. Well, the you know we like we like to think that the the eye is an extension of the brain that you can see, right. and so the the eye offers a view into the internal functioning of the body, and so right. it's often used in that way. But often if there's a signal something going wrong in the brain, you can see it in the eye of the orbit. So we call the orbit all the tissues that are around the eye, mm-hmm. within sort of the bony rim of the orbit. You can sort of feel the bone edge around the socket. Right. And um, so the orbit, and uh, so an oculoplastic surgeon is mainly to do with surgery of the eyelids and the orbit, right. so everything that's sort of outside the eye. So if you're at a dinner party... 
and and someone does anyone ever say to you, well, it's not exactly brain surgery? No, they don't come. They usually <laughs> you, ask. Do you get to say, <laughs> well, no, what kind actually, of dinner party would you be at? <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. Well, I you just know, came here for it's a usually they've asked me how to get rid of glasses, and when I've told them <laughs> yeah, I'm not right. used to them, then they walk away and we <laughs> talk about the weather. So that's right. Unfortunately, not. What's an example of something where it's like happening in the brain and it's manifested around the eye? I saw a gentleman uh, two days ago who um, uh, had presented over the last few months with an eye that just closed. It just spontaneously closed. And um, quickly on taking a history, he had a brain tumour and it had been excised twice. But it it wasn't thought to have involved the eye. But it was had grown to the point, become inoperable and was pressing on the nerves just at the back of the eye called the the apex of the orbit. And it's a very tight area and as soon as you get any pressure, so it had affected one of the nerves and so his eye had closed and the eye was in the wrong direction and he'd lost vision in it. So wow. there's sort of little things like that. Right. And from there, is that, do you say that's a classic sign of XYZ and you refer to a brain surgeon? Yeah. Well, this is, this, in fact, this had happened the opposite way. He was mm. well known to the neurosurgeons. He oh. was an elderly gentleman, but we just wanted to make sure that was going on because okay. always in medicine, you've got to think about what else could it be. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. we were just making sure of that. But um, ironically, the poor gentleman um, had not been able to close his eye for a while and had painful ulcer and with the advent of this you'd think it would be terrible but all of a sudden his pain resolved because his oh, eye wow. was now completely closed oh. so it's it's quite weird that you know seeing disease doesn't mean you address it and fix it but rather you just try and assess how the patient feels about it so, right so it's not a tumor that will probably uh, end his life either mm-hmm. it's just one that's slow growing okay nine Good, because yeah. that, that was a real buzz. Yeah, no, sorry. That, 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 <laughs> that really is a bit down, isn't it? So <laughs> we, don't, we don't often cover death. Yeah. No. I'm no. like, boobs, bodies. That's <laughs> right. And, and one of the things I commonly have to do is remove eyes. And right. so do the whole sort of rehabilitation on removing an eye and uh, getting uh, prosthesis for them and preparing them for that. So. Is that very common? I feel like when I was a kid, I thought that like – a glass eye was a very prominent thing. It was like quicksand, you know, like you were so sure at some point you're going to meet somebody with a glass eye or you would have one. But then mm. that's kind of just faded away. But is it still quite common? For uh, well, it's not. Look, I wouldn't say it's common, but at the eye near hospital, the public outpatients, we'd probably uh, once a week have a patient once right. every week or two who would require the eye to be removed. And um, um, and usually it's, it's in circumstances as that um, they've had a long diseased eye that's painful mm-hmm. and it's hard to believe, but it comes as a relief. Some of the happiest patients I've had were patients whose eyes are removed. They've been painful and so sore and disrupting their life for right. so long that the relief they had on removal of it, the pain just disappeared and they got on with their lives again. Mm. So it's really unusual. The prosthesis these days, if um, mostly you get it right and a lot of people can't tell. But um, it doesn't move as well. So even though we attach the muscle, um, there's still there's no there's no contact between the prosthesis and the orbital implant. So it moves mm-hmm. a little bit, but not fully. There was a stage where we tried to hook them up, but um, patients would constantly run into some problems, and so that's not done much. They're going to say run into walls. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> what is something about ophthalmology um, that you you wish people knew better or knew that you did? As or look, as a general rule, I think the the main thing uh, is that the, the probably the different um, spe- subspecialties involved with 
eyes and what's going on with eyes. And that, yes, I, I don't do laser refractive surgeries. Right, I'll, maybe I should rephrase it. What's something about your special that you wish people yeah. didn't think you did? Well, let me put it this way. I know enough to know to discourage or encourage people. Well, and you did that for me. Yeah, that's true. You did. That's true. That's true. Exactly. And I think, I think as clinicians, um, you develop quite quickly what you think is a safe green zone. And you use that knowledge to help your friends and family and yeah. also your patients. Um, and I often talk about a traffic light system with surgery. Yeah. You know, it's green, obvious, this is surgery, fix it. Yellow, let's exhaust all other avenues. And red, not only don't have the surgery with me, don't have it with anyone else. Yeah. Um, so, um, but look, I must admit, I, I like the traffic line. Yeah. Taz is a Brazilian butt lift. <coughs> yeah. That's how I read. <laughs> <laughs> because I think for every other medical specialty, the eye is just a really scary, yes. unknown quantity. Like no one really knows what's going on by yeah. the eye. It's yeah. So much. It's total Wizard of Oz. It is. Know? Absolutely. It is. I mean, my, my practice is built on. Um, lesions that GPs and plastic surgeons remove every other day. But as soon as it gets close to the lid margin, yeah, and I'm absolutely sure if you come and <laughs> see me do it, scary. You, you would come and see what I do. You go, really? Yeah. <laughs> really um, just a gentle approach because most of the things, all these are done in rooms under a bit of local anaesthetic. Yeah. And as you know, that is such a skill you learn to take a patient through what they feel is can be very confronting around the eye putting local anaesthetic in but yeah. the, the best comment i get that was better than the dentist and you know so that that's my benchmark and it, it works quite well low, but bar. low, low bar, bar low bar on that note you, you know you're talking about it is very scary it seems very unnerving to have anything coming near your eye for the most of the surgeries you do do people have to be awake um so the vast majority yet yeah, well over 90 percent of surgeries would be awake mm. um and uh they're usually in if they're larger surgeries in a theater setting right. so my anesthetist i have a great group of anesthetists the total key to my practice and we just have this well-oiled dance routine of where they give them some pain relief and some sedative mm -hmm. just at the moment that i numb the skin and right. patients will generally not remember or recall that oh okay. and so and then because a lot of what i do i need the feedback of what's going on yeah, and yeah, their yeah. involvement as we as we go on but cataract surgery is an amazing example mm. and that's all just done with drops on the eye these days a topical anesthetic and a wow. little bit of sedation yeah oh okay it's, it's and is it kind of just like clawed open and they're like yeah we a, a gentle speculum in place <laughs> that's right that's, that's right. what you meant that's, that's right. what you meant that's right um bring out the medieval yeah tools. but you you can imagine the worst fear of your life. I, I agree. I mean, you know, I, I must admit I'm incredibly curious about the experience the patients report to me one day. Eventually, I guess I'll hopefully live long enough to experience myself. But mm -hmm. they have an incredible psychedelic experience under the lights of the microscope and they oh. report seeing imagery and lights. And I've had one or two patients of artists who tried to paint it. And um, and they, they, they suddenly go from this like incredible uh, fear to this elation. You can imagine um, something they conquered they couldn't feel afterwards. Yeah, wow. Yeah. It's well, extraordinary. When I had my refractory eye surgery, yes. that was the scariest thing. So I nearly broke the ball that they gave me to So squeeze. you wouldn't have had sedation. <clears throat> no. That's right. So yeah. refractive eye surgery is that really unusual oh. one where you don't have sedation. It's all topical anaesthetic yeah. and, and yeah. grit your teeth and yeah. squeeze the ball. Yeah. 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 And they just said, okay, the lights are going to go out now. Don't panic. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure if that's a phrase. It's going to help. <laughs> I'm yeah. telling you. Don't do the one thing you want to do. Panic. Exactly. Yeah. So does it, did it hurt? 
No, I didn't feel it. But right, just suddenly just you've got your eye open and there's just a veil of darkness and you're, and you're just sitting there going, I hope the light will come back. So yeah. did you used to be a glasses wearer? I think we're getting a bit personal now. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. It's a bit of a personal question. <laughs> See, it's, it's, this, and this would be the thing is that everything in eyes eventually revolves to getting rid of glasses. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, but to, the case in point is that the, the eye, you know, has one of the highest concentration of nerve fibres on the cornea. Mm-hmm. But once you're in the eye, there's, there's nerve uh, that sense pressure, but no no sensation nerves. So this is why right. we can get away with inside the eye operating with very little anaesthetic. Right. Yeah. God, it's, I it, can't even put it. It's hard to believe, eyes. isn't it? Yeah. It's, <laughs> you know, you've got to be thankful for modern medicine and modern anaesthesia. Yeah, really. Right. Wow. Let's just do things. I've had the odd patient who wouldn't even take um, sedation for cataract right. surgery, which yeah. is pretty impressive. But there, right. are some, there are some countries that that's the norm. Japan, for one, yeah. and a lot in now New Zealand. They just, just have drops and that's it. Extraordinary. But most people would still have the whole, whole eye put to sleep with what we call a peribulbar anaesthetic, so injections around the eye. Why do people reject sedation? Because they're told it's not available. They don't know, they're not aware. It's a cultural thing. Oh, right. Yeah. Right. It's an expectation. Medicine is, is really both cultural and expectations. Mm-hmm. And this is how we've done it and this is how we'll always do it. So. Right. Uh, so tell us about like an eye surgery you did that sticks in your mind. Um, so there's one operation I get to do called an optic nerve sheath fenestration. Yeah, Whoa, I know. I even know. I so didn't understand. I, that's that. right. So <laughs> I was I was with you up until yeah, there. <laughs> here we go. This is getting down to the nitty gritty just, of uh, brain. Talk to him like a five year old. Really. Brain, brain. You surgery. and me are on the same page, but just for the other guy in the room. Well, th- this might have a little bit to do. I know because uh, a lot you you deal with patients who've um, struggle with weight gain, yeah. and so there's a, there's this condition called benign intracranial hypertension. I've and heard of that. Yeah. Yeah, BIA. He's trying to make ground now. <laughs> and um, and this, is a, this is a really innocuous condition that appears and it affects un- mostly younger women and it's associated with significant amounts of weight gain and they end up with incredible headaches and pressure. Uh-huh. And there's an oversupply of uh, fluid that circulates around the brain and what it does is it pushes on the nerve to the eye and the vision drops. Wow. And so so the, the vision drops and um, and... You can treat them by releasing the fluid with um, spinal lumbar punctures or um, or a, a medication called Dymox, which reduces supply. But if things are not heading in the right direction, we will try and relieve that pressure. And either a neurosurgeon will create a shunt, but often if it's just affecting the eye, we'll have to create a little hole in the optic nerve behind the eye. Um, and so it's um, insane. Yeah. So I mean, very memorable cases. There's also a relationship with pregnancy. And about I think about eight nine years ago, I had a young pregnant woman losing vision in one eye. Wow. And you know, it was a fair fair bit of pressure. But um, but the surgery itself is, um, you know, you're around a very very small dark hole, um, and you're sort of spreading uh, blood vessels and nerves away from the nerve at the back of the eye, which is hard to find. It is and um, you're able, once you're in the right area and uh, with the right instruments, able to pierce and uh, you get this release of cerebral spinal fluid. And it's, it's really quite satisfying. That Are they awake for that? No, no, okay. absolutely <laughs> sleep. You have to detach the muscle of the eye, sneak around the back yeah, of the Yeah, I was going to ask how you get in. So yeah, so, wow. so we get in. Um, it, no cuts on the skin. 
So it's just on the white around the side of the eye. So these patients, most of them don't have any. They just have a, a bruised eye afterwards but, and a bit wow. of double vision for a while. But it's, it's enormously satisfying. Um, and how much comes out? Like what's uh, not, not much, but you see this gush of fluid. Wow. And, um, and, then you know you've, and then you've got to make a little bit of a bigger window. And, and it's, it's amazingly therapeutic in those situations. You know, it's one of those operations where I can truly feel like I've saved someone's vision. Right. You yeah, know, right. With, with all the blepharoplasties I do and cataracts, yes, yeah. but this, is, this really feels like it's, it's an incredible, quite an incredible moment. And I never tire of it. I never tire of any of the surgery I do. Yeah. But, but it's just such a pleasure to take the most anxious, scared person through something like that and get them on the other side. So. To, to quote Kate, and this is a genuine <laughs> question, God, for those playing at home and for me, <laughs> can you? How does someone with cataracts present? Yep. And what do you actually do? Yep. So the because I actually don't know. Yeah. Is cataracts Fred Hollows? Yes, correct. Right? Yeah. So a cataract is the lens. So the lens we're all born with a lens inside the eye sits behind the coloured iris. The front of the eye is the cornea, the clear, transparent window. But a cataract, um, through benefit of living a long and prosperous life in the West, um, develops starting in 50s, 60s. We say about 70% of 70-year-olds will have cataract. And it's a clouding of that lens. And it's a degeneration, usually due to ageing and ultraviolet sun. Oh, okay. So in, in a funny way, it almost protects the back of the eye because it absorbs the light. Right. And so it, they undergo different types of change. Um, and so if you go to Nepal which is, you know, high altitude, closer to the sun, cataracts endemic at a much younger age. Right, right, right. But, but that's exactly what Fred Hollis is doing. So the symptoms patients will notice, and the most frequent one I find is, I just had my glasses updated because they were wrong and they haven't helped me. Mm-hmm. And I still feel it's blurred. Right. And that's, that's the big one. Or they're op- they're, so it's their optometrist who really right. triggers it. They know what's going on. They'll go, look, let's try... And they'll say, look, I'm using a pair of glasses that are three old. I still think I can see okay. Um, And because it happens in both eyes relatively simultaneously, the patient's really unaware of the degradation if it's a slow-onset cataract. So the surgery is really removing that lens inside Mm. the eye and replacing it with a little man-made lens. Oh, cool. Yeah, and so the intraocular lens implant, this is all done through usually about a 2.4-millimetre incision. So it's and a 1.2 millimeter incision. You can imagine the little instruments inside the eye, and we're able to fold these lenses <laughs> in Richard's half. Face just then. I know that's right. When I get upset and I throw a scalpel blade around, <laughs> no one, no one, no one lives. gets hurt. No one. Yeah. <laughs> it's just Justin having this a hissy a fit. That's right. That's right. Bounces off the floor, and nobody really cares. No one notices. Um, no doesn't one even notice. make a noise. No, exactly. Um, um, and so yeah, you remo- you remove the, uh, the the cataracts removed with ultrasound. Um, high-speed ultrasound. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's, a, it's a called the FACO emulsification machine. It's really what modern cataract surgery is all about. This is a bit off script, but you just saying that reminded me. And I saw this influencer the other day, and she had she had to get a growth removed off of her eye yes. that um, they'd said was because it was, like, not sunburned, but it was – and she said, you know, she'd always been so careful with skincare and, like, always wore hats and always wore SPV but didn't wear sunglasses, like Polaroids, yep. sunglasses. Yep. And from years of modelling and being in, like, reflective surfaces, yep. that it had, like, had a growth on her eye and the pictures were horrific and I instantly went and got a polarised pair of sunglasses. But she was just, like, from years of being in that. Is that 
So, abso- so, so she's probably referring to a pterygium, which mm-hmm. is this uh, UV stimulated growth in the inner corner of the eye. Usually, can yeah, that's can be the outer corner. Um, very common the further north you move in Australia, right. because again, more sun. Yeah. And look, there is just some people, as as with most things, there's a genetic predisposition, and also there's environmental. And so, the sun reducing the sunlight, you would say most people will eventually get cataract. And so wearing sunglasses may reduce the speed at which it onsets. And the same thing for a pterygium. The vast majority of people will not get a pterygium. But some people – so we find them in surfers Mm -hmm. a lot and people who spend a lot of time outdoors. I saw a gentleman yesterday who's worked on roof all his life. And he had – or like tridiums on either side in the inner and the outer. Oh. And, and his son, his eyes were very sun affected. But mm-hmm. he, uh, interestingly, no skin cancers. Oh. So, you know, he obviously he's missing that predisposition for mm. the skin cancer for me because he certainly had enough ultraviolet radiation to stimulate yeah. most people. So there's not, one, there's, there's not one way to avoid anything, but certainly increasing protection. So I spend a lot of time in the water um, and I look like a royal numpty because <laughs> I've got absolutely full-length wetsuits, a hat and sunnies. Yeah. And, um, I, you know, I surf like that, I can't surf like that, but I just know that, you know, it's, yeah. it's a risk factor. But, um, but I won't avoid it. But surgery, did you see the after photos? Is that what you're saying were horrendous? Or No, it was, yeah, she just had like the red all the way up. And so she was like kind of looking to the top corner. Yes, and then, so I think they had that. Yeah. And, then, and she like was fine afterwards. So I do a lot of pterygium surgery as well. Mm. And we remove that and we replace the area with a little bit of healthy conjunctiva that sits under the eyelid that oh. hasn't been affected by the sun. And it was um, Australian research that figured out that that was the way to prevent them coming back. Right. And so that's, that's God, what we call it. Yeah, yeah, no. So you put it on as a graft? We put it on as a graft and uh, we, we used to sew them in and the last change in the last five years has been to glue them in finally right. and patients are much more comfortable. It, it is the most uncomfortable surgery afterwards. It's completely painless when you do it. You either put the eye to sleep or put the patient to sleep. But afterwards, it's, I warn patients it's a bit challenging that first few days, but right. most people get through it. Because it's just irritating. Yeah. So you've got a, quite a broad spectrum what, what of practice. Yep. What's your most common surgery? Yeah, so the two most common surgeries I do, interestingly, are cataract surgery um, and blepharoplasty and eyelid ptosis surgery. And probably the third would be um, age-related eyelid changes, um, droopy eyelids and skin cancers. So that's sort of... But blepharoplasty surgery has been a joy just because the satisfaction rates are so high. And it's. And can you just explain what a blepharoplasty Sorry, I is? So um, blepharoplasty surgery is when the uh, skin, there's an excess skin of the upper eyelid mm-hmm. um, and it starts to droop over the edge of the eye and the, it sits on the lashes or sits over the, over the eyelashes. Right. Okay, so this is a little bit different to an eyelid ptosis. And a ptosis is where the eyelid is starting to also obscure the vision, but the whole eyelid is sitting low. Oh, so the blepharoplasty is just the skin above the eye. That's right. So if you can can manually just gently take that skin that bothers you and lift it and you can still see okay, that's invariably – it's got this funny name. It's called dermatocolasis, but – it's just it's usually age-related, but again, mm-hmm. genetics play a big part. If your parents had similar changes, you may also. Um, whereas ptosis surgery is um, can be, again, related to age, but also things like contact lens wear or trauma. We also do them here, obviously, and we've kind of talked about them a bit on the podcast. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I noticed in the 
bottom one because I couldn't really yes. understand what a lower, lower blepharoplasty, blepharoplasty would be. yes. And it is, it's just kind of like you look just like awake, which is how we've described them. It's like it's so subtle that it's something where you like just look a bit more fresh. Correct. So I think I think lower lid blepharoplasty is really an interesting phenomenon because it's not I tell patients, I mean, I must admit, I probably talk more people out of a lower lid blepharoplasty. <laughs> Over the years, I've realised that the eyelid just doesn't like tightness and it doesn't like to be pulled in the wrong direction. Right. And so it, my lower lid blepharoplasty is really a sort of more orientated at the what we call the orbital fat prolapse. So the sort of the, the heavy premature bags you can get under your eyes where there's bulging and there's, there's sort of orbital fat prolapse. And I can use that volume um, to sort of restore, to, to contour the, the lower lid better. So with the skin cancers of the eyelid, yes. something I've stayed away from for yes. probably 10 years now. Um, so where, where's the most common area? Yep, so the, mo- the most common area is the lower lid. Yeah. Um, now I'm going to have to remember, it's either then the inner corner or the outer and then the upper lid. Right. Um, so is that quite common? It is. This is every patient asks me that yeah. and they... So to answer your question, they probably don't know somebody who's had it. Right. Um, but I would I would remove one to two a week around the eye right, for right. sure. Yeah. So most some things are really simple and straightforward. Mm-hmm. You can um, use the redundancy or the excess tissue of an older eyelid and bring it back together. But occasionally we have to remove a third, two thirds, or sometimes even a whole eyelid. And mm-hmm. So that's when the wow. we we get to borrow parts of the other eyelid to um, to make the eyelid look new again. Interesting. So so when you're doing a skin graft, you're only taking it from eyelid skin. So you can think of the eyelid, it's sort of a two-layered structure. So imagine the inside of your mouth, you know, this tissue of the conjunctiva, it's a soft skin. And so the inside of the eye is exactly the same. You need that soft skin. So that that's sort of the the limiting um, factor. You really need to replace that. And so we often, if we lose the whole lower eyelid, we borrow um, part of the upper eyelid. Oh. And so the eyes close for a period of two to four weeks mm-hmm. while the, the new part of that eyelid takes shape and form. Then, yeah, the outside we might use a skin graft as well on top of that. And then we have another shorter operation where we open the eyelid up. Oh. Yeah, so the patients are sort of stuck, you know, with an eye closed for two weeks or so and can't drive and things. <laughs> Yikes. Yeah. Um, what's something you wish other ophthalmologists would stop doing or ocular surgeons? Um, do you know what? I think we overprescribe antibiotic drops. Right. I really... Wow. Good one. I, I really think um, we really overprescribe drops and I think we... Um, uh, I really practice what I call regression to the mean medicine. So when my wife wakes up in the morning, my eyes red. I said, <laughs> look, I understand you've got to take advantage of some skills I have, but it's not a skin cancer. And she's very unsatisfied with that answer. And then 24 hours Surprisingly. later, a day when it's fine, we've forgotten about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's a, there's a lot of things I see that I think are instantly overtreated because a patient may just, just try drops. Chloramphenicol drops, which is the most common drop we have, they're actually over-the-counter now medication. Yeah. Um, so... They're really used frequently and a lot, um, and I'm not I'm not sure the wiseness of that. So is that like everything, including you know, like allergy eye drops and no? So no, I'm just talking about oh. antibiotic drops. Yeah, so okay, yeah, right, right. so our anti-allergy eye drops, absolutely for somebody who suffers from hay fever, very effective. And right. I, know, I was asking for myself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, 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 and, and a wide range and. Um, 
Yeah. So so the ones that are over the counter. Mm, the chloramphenicol drops. Interesting. So what would people buy them over the counter? Well, I, look, I think if you go to see a pharmacist, got a red eye, why don't you try this? Right. And so it's, it's, and to be honest, my bias is that I only see the ones that don't get better. Okay. And there may be a whole host of right. patients who that was exactly the right thing to do, but it's only useful in the setting of what we call a bacterial infection in the eye. Oh, so okay. it's only useful if you've got a bacterial conjunctivitis and nothing else. So right. if it and most most conjunctivitis would be viral. Um, and also antibiotics after surgery. I'm I re- agree. I'm a really big one in not doing that because it's it's like you've got you've got one shot in yeah. the gun to treat a problem. Yeah. What, why, why, why shoot it at the first sign that you think yeah. there's going to be trouble? Just wait. Really listen to the symptoms. Really listen. Yeah. And, and just pain is the overwhelming feature of an infection, I find. Pain. Yeah. But it's sometimes very hard because the patient... Wants something. Correct. And, and, and I'm guilty of that too. So I, I hope everyone else has found this interesting because I've found this fascinating. It's been, it's been um, uh, just terrific for me to catch up with you and see you doing so well. Um, so um, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people listening. If they want to find you, Juzzy, where do they go? Yeah, so I, um, I've got a, a little uh, practice in uh, South Melbourne. Brand um, new. Apparently. Brand new practice. I've sort of gone out on my own, you know, midlife career. Um, yeah. Very, very, very proud of it. I have two amazing staff and we're just um, really, really happy with, uh, with the space we have. So it's called Lakeside Eye Surgery, being right. next to Albert Park Lake. Um, the website's lakesideye.com.au, which is a lake. Lakeside EYE, a little bit confusing, but uh, <laughs> nine nine double six seven. Not if four, you know what you're going yeah, for. Yeah, <laughs> nine double six seven four thousand is our number, and Kirstine um, was um, very happy to take your call. And thank you so absolute much. Absolute pleasure. I really enjoy this. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Thanks, Richard. Bye. If you liked this episode of Keeping It Real, please like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, why don't you have a flick through our past episodes? We'd love to hear your requests for future topics. So send your suggestions through to us on IG at Replastic Surgery. That's all for today. And we'll catch you next time for another peek into the world of plastic surgery.